What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Dental Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Arias, and this is a really special episode because we have someone all the way from a special guest from Wales, uh, the UK. And believe it or not, uh, the UK is our fifth or sixth, I want to say, most listened to um, place. (laughs) So thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening. I appreciate it. I think it goes America's number one or United States is number one, right? Uh, Canada's number two. Number three is Australia. So shout out to everybody in Australia. Number four is Japan. And I believe number five is the UK. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really, really appreciate it. Shout out to everybody in Wales. I hope you guys are doing great. We're talking with Dr. Ali Verani from North Cardiff Dental Implants. I know a lot of people know this, this old Harvard study that talked about how much money we all need to be happy before money doesn't contribute to the happiness. So I remember reading that it was 70,000 US dollars a year for a household. Mm-hmm. Now, if you, if you turn that into British pounds, probably about 60,000, then you come for inflation. Let's push that back up to 70,000. So if you think each of our employees needs to take home 35,000 British pounds a year, if their partner brings home the same, it means none of their problems are going to be because of money, theoretically. So then we have to think beyond that, because we think if we can get to that point, what will make people happy? Time with their family, um, you know, being healthy. And this is why, and, and um, personal and professional growth. That was another big thing. So we thought, okay, so we can invest in everyone's education. We can send the nurses on whatever courses they want. We're doing things like phlebotomy, radiography, you know, everything they want to do. But how do you, one of the things I think get ignored in dentistry is personal growth. So how do we focus on any personal growth? So, you know, can we have a few days a year where we get speakers in who aren't from dentistry to talk about mindset and personalities and just whatever we can think of. And if, um, if one of the team has something going on in their life, how can we support them in a way where they actually come out a bit stronger? So we don't have all the answers, but you know, This is kind of the way we were trying to structure the way we approach our recruitment and growth. The name might sound familiar because he took it over from Dr. Imran Kassam, I believe that episode was 330, but you can hear that episode in the show notes below. But Dr. Ali is such a wonderful, awesome, chill guy. Like, I hope uh, you guys do reach out to him. I know he would love it if you reached out to him. He has a lot of knowledge and very, very humble. So he worked as a general dentist in a general practice for about eight years. Then he started feeling bored. And maybe some of us can relate to that. He started feeling bored here at this general practice. And then he lets us know why general dentistry was kind of becoming dull for him. And then he became a traveling implant uh, dentist specialist, so like an implantologist, right, traveling. And then he wasn't happy as much anymore doing that. And listen to see why. He, he said his brain wasn't working as much as he wanted it to. And a lot of us could probably relate to, to these feelings. So, he, like I said, he's so humble because he mentions how one of the best things he realized about himself is that he isn't really that good at many things. <laughs> And this meant that he had so much room to improve and grow. And that's, that's, a, that's a good thing. That's a great thing when we are kind of new at something. You know, that means, oh my gosh, I have so much to learn 
the potential that I have is must be amazing, right? So look at it that way. I mean, we're all beginners at, at everything when we start out. So and then from that point on, um, some things I like that he mentions that we discuss is he says, it doesn't take long to look at teeth. It takes long to know people. So this is important to remember when we're talking with our patients, right? Really get to know them. And then Ali mentioned the two things that make a successful practice, in his opinion. And uh, you guys can listen to the episode to uh, find out what those two things are. And then from that point, we discuss on how important it is to focus on what your team wants out of their life. And we really dive into this topic because you guys know, I mean, we're experiencing it everywhere. He's, we're, he's experiencing it and where he's from. We experience it here in the United States, everywhere. It's, there's a shortage, right? We're, we're starting to realize it's getting harder to keep our assistants, our, our hygienists, a lot of our front office people, right? It's not only getting harder, but it's at the same time, like they're leaving. Some people are just leaving straight up, right? Or it's harder to find people. So he lets us know exactly how he's combating that, right? And this will help you to have a team that treats your business like their business. And that's what we really want. And it will help them really want to grow and stay. And Ali explains why. And then we see more or we discuss a little bit more about staff and employees. If you're a longtime listener, you probably hear me say like, man, that's like a bumper sticker quote, because like, <laughs> I feel like Ali mentions a lot of bumper sticker quotes here, but you want people to feel lucky to have this job and you want to feel lucky to have them. And that speaks, I mean, just wait till he mentions that and he goes into that, right? <laughs> All right. I'm going to spoil any more for you guys. Without further delay, here is Dr. Ali Verani. Ali, how's it going? Hi, Michael. Yeah, very good. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, but let us know right now, where are you from? So um, I'm based in the UK and in Cardiff in Wales, um, but I grew up in East Africa in Kenya. So I'm speaking to you from my new home, which is Wales, and my wife is from Wales. I went to university in Wales, but um, I was in Kenya till I came to university. Nice, man. That's really, really, that's all over the world, right? Like you've, you've been, and honestly, you're going to think I'm so naive for this, Ali, but I was... I only started knowing a lot about Wales because of The Crown, uh, the show on Netflix. So I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, and I looked it up and it, it's pretty, it's nice out there, huh? Uh, you, you think that's funny. I, I applied to university in Cardiff and I was saying to one of my teachers in Kenya, oh, I'm going to university in Cardiff. And he said, oh, is that in Wales? And I said, no, I think it's in England. So I didn't even know where I was going. So I, you know, <laughs> I, I can't blame you for that. How long have you been here for then? Or in England? Uh, so I, I came to university in 2006. So I've been in the UK since then. Dental school is five years in the UK. So since then, I've been here. Nice. So then talk to me. I know we kind of talked a little bit right now on the tip of the iceberg, but tell me a little bit about your past, your present. How did you get to where you are right now? So um, I've, had a, I've had a lot of very uh, lucky breaks in, in my time so far. So I came over to the UK, did dentistry. And then in the UK, for the first year after you finish university, you do something called it used to be called vocational training. Now it's called dental foundation training. But you spend a year in a dental practice where you, if you come out of dental school, you can go do private dentistry, which is, I've been listening to the podcast lots and I'm a big fan, but I've learned the terminology and kind of the difference between the UK and the US a little bit. So um, I think it's, it's more like kind of fee per item you can do without any further training. But if you want to work on the National Health Service, you need to do this year of training. And I, I think the NHS in the UK is equivalent to taking insurance in the, in the States. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, uh, you know, got its own rules and not as well funded. So you spend a year training under someone and you get a performer number at the end of that to be able to work on the system. So I did my uh, 
foundation year in a, in a practice that was doing a lot of specialist treatment. And I was very fortunate that I had um, very generous trainers and I stayed on there in my job. So I was in general practice there for probably about eight years. And then more recently, then I decided it was a great practice. It's the best type of general practice to be in. But I realized my passion lies in implant dentistry. So I left, you know, the only job I had never known, the only practice I'd ever known to to travel around and do implants. And I was traveling to seven practices and spending, you know, I know the States is massive, but in the UK, I was, you know, sometimes driving two hours each way for work, which is crazy here. And being a traveling implantologist. And then, and then I had, you know, this amazing thing happen, which was, uh, uh, Imran has previously been on your show who, who we bought our practice from. But, um, I was saying to you that, uh, I went to go look at Imran's practice and ask him how you set up a practice. And, and he's moved on to bigger and better things. And he said, do you want this practice? And no, I have a practice, but it was all more luck than judgment. Yeah, that's interesting, man. So how long have you been on North Cardiff uh, Dental and Implants? I think it's been about 18 months now. It was, uh, so we, we started chatting um, with Imran about the possibility of, of taking over. Then the pandemic hit. And I think Imran, he's gone into property development way away from dentistry. And he really wanted to do that. And kind of, we kind of pushed through during the pandemic and said, okay, we'll do this, even though dentistry stopped in, in the UK pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so since then we've had it and it wasn't North Cardiff Dental and Implants when we took over, it was uh, Cloves Dental Care. Um, so the same building, but different branding at the top. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I think uh, if for anybody um, wanting to like backtrack, that was episode, I believe 330 with Dr. Imran Kassam. And he talks about, the whole trend. He was actually talking about the transition period, right? And he was like, oh man, this was the best of the best is taken over. And I was like, oh, I got to meet this guy. <laughs> then, but yeah, that's awesome, man. So I kind of want to backtrack a little bit. You, you were a general practicing for eight years, you said? Yes. What things did you take away from that, that you are implementing right now? What things did you learn where you're like, I never want to do this. I, I hate this right here, what you're doing. So, you know, I think, I think the first big lesson was that, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of uh, bred to compete when you're growing up and getting into dental school and getting through dental school. I don't know if that's universal or just in certain systems, but, you know, we're kind of full fighting for the same, for the same goals. And you kind of feel like you have to always be achieving something. Hmm. And one of the things that I learned is that we're all on our different journey. So I learned a lot about myself, but I also learned a lot about my perspective of the world where I thought we were all competing for things. And actually, you know, there's, there's a whole world out there and, and what we all want is different. It's okay if you want to do a specific thing or if you want to be a good general dentist or general dentistry is not for you or dentistry is not for you. So there was that side of things where I learned a lot about myself in that process and about how I look at the world. And from, from my perspective, I spent a good few years trying to be the best general dentist I could be and learning about standards. So, you know, if I was going to go on an endodontic course, I wanted to do the best endodontics I could um, and the best composites I could. And one of the big lessons was I'm not good at everything. Some people are good at a lot of things. Some people aren't good at many things, but we're all good at something. So I think my first lesson was that um, general dentistry, I wasn't good at everything and that was okay because I was surrounded by specialists who could do that. The time wasn't flying by when I was doing general dentistry. I wasn't enjoying it the way I was in the beginning, you know, having this patient base that I was getting to know and chatting to them about their lives and seeing them go through things. And it was becoming a little bit dull and implant dentistry, I was finding exciting. And I didn't know if that was because I love it or because 
there was the novelty of it. But I also learned that I'm better at surgery than I am at cosmetic composites, for example. So that was kind of one of the big triggers for me is that I wasn't uh, excited to go into work every day. And that's when I realized I had to make a change. What? That's interesting you say that, especially the part where the best thing uh, that you realize or the, one of the things you realize is that you're not good at everything, right? And I feel like well, a lot of the times, especially coming out of dental school, we kind of had to be like, I remember a lot of the ones who just came out of dental school would work for our practice and they would be like, I know it all. I already got it. Trust me. And I'm like, okay, you know, you, you, I guess you do know it all. But it's interesting you say that, right? Like you're like, we don't, we don't know it all. So then why was general dentistry becoming dull to you? So um, that's a good question. The honest answer is I don't know exactly why. Um, I think I wanted to be challenged more technically every day. I was spending more and more of my time chatting to lovely patients, really nice people. And they were coming in for their checkups. And the thing is, once you stabilize a, a list, a lot of the time you spend is maintaining, is just getting to know people again. Because it actually doesn't take long to look at teeth. It takes a long time to get to know people and understand what they need from their dental care. So mm-hmm. if we understand the people and we know them for years and years, then, then actually what you're doing is you're catching up every time you see them. And the issue became that my brain wasn't working as much as I wanted it to. So I guess my shift to doing implants was I was meeting strangers all the time. And instead of talking to me about their grandchildren or their holidays, they were testing my technical knowledge. The time I had with them, they were paying for my time and they were paying for my expertise. And what I realized is after a couple of years that I don't talk to people about them anymore. They come and they use me for as much information as they can get. And I love that because they challenge me with questions and I have to think on the spot and I have to get to know them again. So I think for me, the biggest thing was that it just became a little bit of a a treadmill at that point. Gotcha, gotcha. They weren't like asking you specific questions or anything like that, right? They weren't testing your knowledge? Yeah, they weren't asking about their teeth. Yeah, they were, you know, they just trusted me at that point. So they were coming in and they're going, how have you been? What's been happening with you? And I'm getting to know them. And and they were stable. Their teeth were great. You know, we had a great hygiene program. So really, we were just, um, I was just hanging out with my friends every day, kind of felt like, which isn't a bad thing, but it's a bad thing if that's all you do. Yeah, because you're mentioning that and I'm like, that sounds kind of nice. Like, you know what I mean? Just hanging out with friends. <laughs> but So this is why the other thing is, I felt guilty for not being happy. And this is why I say like, we're all different and we all, it's okay to, to want something different to the other people. So people were saying to me when I was leaving this amazing practice, like, what are you doing? We, you know, we, we killed to be in your position and, and you're throwing this all away. And I felt guilty. But the big thing I've learned about myself and about others is it's okay if you're not happy and it's okay to change things. And it's okay to not feel guilty about giving up something that you think you should appreciate. Man, that's good. That's really, really good. That speaks, I mean, to me even. I'm like, man, it's good. So if you don't mind me asking, what was the pay like at your general dentistry or the general practice where you were working at? And how is that different from now? So I'll never get paid as much as I did doing that. I actually know, to be fair, I was on a very generous contract, which is kind of unheard of, which was the old 50-50 split on everything. And in the UK, things have moved more towards, I think, 45, even 40, sometimes 35, depending on the area on sliding scales mm-hmm. in terms of percentages of associate pay. That practice was run very well. I was very well remunerated. And actually, that's one of the reasons I probably didn't leave sooner is I felt like I should appreciate that. Mm-hmm. When I left to get on the road doing implants, 
because I was so worried about taking this risk, because I had this guaranteed income every month and I was going to have to go out there and prove myself again and I didn't know how it would go. So again, as an implantologist, a lot of the time you can get a 50-50 split. So I was on the road doing that. And now I'm in our practice. I will never earn as much as I did previously. I'm very aware of that. And it's lucky that that wasn't the motivating factor. But what I do is I travel to one practice. It's a great practice. It's quite a while away, but um, really great area for implants. I work there one day a week. We don't take any money out of our practice. And we've made this commitment to kind of sweat equity, basically, while we grow it. So that one day, and I'm lucky that I have that one day because a lot of practice owners don't have that external income. That one day pays the bills. And then the rest of the time, we're basically, my wife and I are working for free in our practice. But we've made this commitment because, yes, we've, we've invested in equipment and things like that. But the, the biggest thing, and the reason I was saying I've learned a lot about people is, the biggest thing I've learned is there's kind of two aspects to, I think, a successful practice. One is that your associates are happy and want to be there. You know, if someone wants to go on tone and practice, you're never going to stop them. But you don't really... Having been an associate, you don't want people not doing their best or wanting to leave because of things that are within your control. Mm -hmm. And the other aspect is that the rest of the team, because I think um, dental nurses or in the States, you call them assistants, are mm -hmm. chronically underpaid and overworked because of the health system here. And so when the pandemic hit, they realized a lot of nurses came off the, the register of nurses. They realized that being a dental nurse, they're registered, regulated professionals and they could earn more stacking shelves in a supermarket during the pandemic and it was an easier job. So we lost a lot of nurses in the UK and I think because of that the market for wages has increased naturally but actually I, I personally still think it's a ways off. So the kind of two aspects we're trying to balance with our sweat equity is not actually what I think are traditional way, ways to focus your, your investment. So one of the things we want to actually drive up those wages. And that's very important to us because if our team don't have to worry about money, then they can focus on our patients. So that's a big thing for us. And then the other aspect is investing in things that make our associates' lives better. Because I've been a frustrated associate where I think that could have been done better or the resources aren't there. And not just in terms of materials, but you know, if our associates are doing referral work, if they have to sit there in the evenings and write letters to referring dentists and chase things up and deal with lab work, then they're getting home late, you know, so on and so on. So if we have more staff and we can take things off their plate, then they can focus on their dentistry, but they can also go home, enjoy their family. And basically, if we can provide this environment that we'd have loved to work in and everyone is really enjoying it and really driven, then hopefully the team grows the practice. That's the idea. Yeah. I like that, man. Wow. So you guys are having a, a pretty big shortage of nurses too, right? Like dental assistants. Absolutely. Is it the same in the States? Oh yeah. It's super bad. Like it's same thing. We, we, they all figured, not figured out, but like, they're like, we can be an Amazon driver. We can do something else, right? We can be famous on TikTok, whatever, right? Like other things. And then they absolutely yeah make more money. So, so the two things for a successful practice, associates are happy, team is happy. So basically everybody has to be happy, right? For, for them. Yes. We think so, because we, when we came in, I mean, the thing is, we, we came into a general practice that was branded and marketed, you know, really well by, by Imran and Emily as a general practice, but we're a different type of practice. But because they were a general practice, they were, they were providing convenience, right? Because if people are going to come to you every three or six months, you need to work around their schedules. 
Whereas us providing one-off treatments, we, we might just be seeing a patient, you know, for a set of implant treatment and then they go back to their dentist. So we weren't having to compete on convenience. So the first thing we came in was we looked at the opening hours, which were pretty much eight to eight every day and open some weekends as well. So, you know, evenings, weekends, and um, we sat down with our team and we said, right, what do you guys want out of your lives? Forget the money, forget the work, but what do you want out of your lives? And, and some of our team members said, I'd love to go to the gym in the morning before work, but we start too early. And some said, you know, I have kids and I'd love to do the school run. So we kind of sat down together and we looked at how many hours we worked out the hours we're going to stay open by what our nurses need to make the money they need. So we looked at how many hours we need to be open and we kind of all had a chat. We agreed on opening from 9.30 a.m. so they can do their school run to 5.30 p.m. Monday to Thursday, doing a half day out of Friday and not opening on weekends. And so actually, it's not just the money side of things which we want to drive up, but the quality of life, hopefully, that this means that everyone's not worrying about their families or missing out on anything so that we can compete with Amazon and supermarkets and other things for all. I, I think what you said is absolutely right. They figured out they figured out that life is easier doing other jobs and it shouldn't be. We should be, we should be doing jobs that we actually feel passionate about and we feel like we make a difference. And I think dental nursing, you can make a difference, but, but you need to have your family looked after as well. Yeah, man, that's so true, Ali. Like I never thought about that where a lot of the time, cause you kind of almost did like an acquisition, right? Basically, like you acquired a yeah. practice, yeah. you kept the whole team. So the, Imran and Emily were most of the team at that point. Okay. Because okay. they were, they, they, they had one surgery and they had, they were still, a, you know, what we call a squat practice. So they had opened up from scratch. So we lost the dentist, the hygienist, the practice manager, and the nurse in those two people. So immediately you already had in mind another team or no, you're like, okay, we're going to take over and then start hiring. So this was the hardest part, right? Because this is what we didn't under, we know nothing about recruitment and staff because we've never owned a practice yeah. on, on our first day in the building my wife and I were, were like where where do we start you know maybe we should listen to the voicemails maybe that's how you because we were opening back up after the pandemics so this place had been closed for two months and uh, there was a voicemail from someone I used to work with who didn't know we had bought the place when she was a trainee dental nurse eight years before that mm -hmm. um she, she her first day as a trainee dental nurse she was my nurse and she was leaving the voicemail because she had taken a corporate job in kind of a a a male order orthodontics, you know, kind of Invisalign over, mm, over yeah. post yeah, yeah. kind of place. And she wasn't enjoying that. So she was looking for like a practice manager role. And, oh, it was a blessing hearing her voice. And we called her back and surprised her. And she said, why are you calling me from the number of uh, Imran's practice? And we said, oh, we've taken over. And, um, you know, so she came in, she knew how systems work because she had worked her way up to running big practices by then. And we were really lucky. So she dealt with recruitment, with systems, with all the things that, you know, that you need in place, um, which are the bones of everything so that we could start focusing on, you know, the pretty things like the rebrand and the direction mm -hmm. we're going in and the expansion. Um, so we were just very lucky. Wow, man, that's, that's really nice. That's a good thought process to be like, let's focus on the voicemail first. But okay, so then you acquired, you, you started bringing in people like that. I like the fact that you kind of sat down your team and you asked them, what do you want out of your life, right? It's not so much like, hey, you guys aren't fitting this system. That's a proven system that's going to make us a million. You know what I mean? And then they're like, oh, okay, well, we'll try and get on board. And you know what I mean? And we'll make some stays the money. It's more like, like you said, it's more than money. 
I like that. So this is the thing, because if it was about money, why bother doing this? You know, and I've heard a lot of people say this on your show. And, and it's funny how it resonates, I think, with, with practice owners more than anything, because you know you could make more money doing something else. And a lot of people said, actually, you know, what you're doing is crazy because you're, you're asking your staff what they want. They're going to end up walking all over you. That, that's what a lot of people actually called me and said. And I, and I understand that mentality, but we didn't just go, oh, well, what do you guys want? We'll give it to you. We said, why do you want it? Because what we want to do is we want to have the right reasons behind, behind why we make our decisions and quality of life and staff retention. I know a lot of people know this, this old Harvard study that talked about how much money we all need to be happy before money doesn't contribute to the happiness. So I remember reading that it was 70,000 US dollars a year for a household. Mm-hmm. Now, if you, if you turn that into British pounds, probably about 60,000, then you come for inflation. Let's push that back up to 70,000. So if you think each of our employees needs to take home 35,000 British pounds a year, if their partner brings home the same, it means none of their problems are gonna be because of money, theoretically. So then we have to think beyond that because we think if we can get to that point, what will make people happy? Time with their family, um, you know, being healthy. And this is why, and, and um, personal and professional growth. That was another big thing. So we thought, okay, so we can invest in everyone's education. We can send the nurses on whatever courses they want. We're doing things like phlebotomy, radiography, you know, everything they want to do. But how do you, one of the things I think get ignored in dentistry is personal growth. So how do we focus on any personal growth? So, you know, can we have a few days a year where we get speakers in who aren't from dentistry to talk about mindset and personalities and just whatever we can think of? And if, um, if one of the team has something going on in their life, how can we support them in a way where they actually come out a bit stronger? So we don't have all the answers, but, you know, this is kind of the way we were trying to structure the way we approach our recruitment and growth. But in order to kind of, and this sounds really big headed, but uh, you know, we're trying to create uh, the dream job for people. But because of that, we have to be really fussy about the people that deserve it. So we've had people come and go who maybe don't fit in, but it's maybe because they, they don't have the drive to, to want to do all of these things. And then it's a burden for them. So actually recruitment has now come down a lot to finding the people who feel lucky to have this job and who we feel lucky to have. And it just has to match and it's okay if it doesn't. Yeah, I like that, man. Why don't people fit in when, you, when you've been looking for them and you're like, you know, you just, you're not connect. Maybe sometimes because when you're in a small practice that's trying to grow and I guess, you know, we, we're asking for more than just time and skills. Uh, we're asking for people's, a bit of their soul, you know, <laughs> um, someone to, to really care about the place. Um, and we're really lucky. I mean, we have some incredible people working for us who we, we don't, we try not to ask them for anything that's not reasonable. We try not to bother them outside of working hours. We don't ask them to stay late. You know, um, we try to look after them, but we know that, that our people, these people who really get what we're trying to do, they'll do anything to make the project work because they, they understand our intentions. And I think basically sometimes you just, you just get people or you don't get people sometimes. And if people don't get our intentions, then none of this makes sense for them. And maybe they just want a job they can go into, do their job, go home, tick boxes. Um, and we can't afford to do that with what mm-hmm. we're trying to do. Yeah, because you said like a lot of the, I mean, it's people, right? You're, you're talking to people, you're talking to patients, you're creating relationships and things like that. They come back and see them. You want always someone to treat uh, your business like their business. Like we, we want that. How do we expect them to do that if we don't create an environment where 
if this place went under, the only way they're going to fight for this place to work is if they knew that if this place went under and they had to go to another job, they'd never love a place or be appreciated or make a difference like they do at our place. So we have to make them want to make it a success for a selfish reason. And that's okay. Yeah. We all have to win. What would you say are some like, for anybody listening and they're like, man, this is 100% true. What would be like instructions, key components to make this happen with your employees? Let's just say right now I have a team and eh, like some of them are like, you know, they're there because they're like, I'm, I'm here for the paycheck, right? You can kind of tell, but they're great. They're great in the operation side and everything. And then some one or two are like, I love you, doctor. Like, this is the best thing I've ever had. How do we instruct this right here? How do we fix this? So I think the first thing is to kind of have to figure out what, you know, what, because what we're looking at here is engagement, right? Engagement with, with the practice, with the ethos, with what we're trying to do. We have an amazing practice manager. And the reason she's so amazing is because she's nothing like me. Because this is the other problem if we're all the same. And, and she's brilliant at understanding that you've got to understand people. So she will spend time with people and understand what their personal life is like, what their professional ambitions are. Come up with a plan so that we're working towards people going in a direction so that they're engaged. And then the other side of it is being okay with us not all being the same. So rather than taking someone and putting them where you need them to be or where you want them to be, we try and create roles that suit them. And so we, you know, we started it off with one nurse and in 18 months, we have five nurses and we're recruiting another. And it's because people are coming in and they're so good at things that actually they're providing value where we didn't know there would be value. So someone maybe isn't so happy or isn't doing well, but you see that everyone's good at something. So you spend time with them and you figure out what maybe what what will light their fire. And then you realize, oh, hold on. You know, for example, our lead nurse, Nicole, she's really passionate about charity projects. And in the beginning, we were firefighting and she's brilliant. But when we sat down with her at the end of last year, and we said, you know, what, what, what do, we, do you think we could do to improve your job? And she said, well, I'd love to do a charity project. So for Christmas, she did the charity project. She headed it in the name of the practice, but she headed up a charity project. And that really inspired her. So, you know, I think being okay, again, with everyone not being good at everything, but also someone coming in, not filling the role that you think they would, creating a role, and then suddenly realizing, you know, we couldn't get by with three nurses, but the extra three people that we have are providing value and growing the place in a way that our patients appreciate. I don't know if that really answers your question, but I think the solutions are always with people. So I think it's a people thing. I think either we find a way to inspire them or we have to say, you know what, maybe we're not a good match for each other because I don't want you being miserable here. I don't want you coming in to collect your paycheck and going home and me thinking I'm killing myself to make this place work and you don't appreciate it. And you thinking, oh, these guys think what they're doing is so important and it is just tea. Ah, yeah. Is that how, let me ask you, have you ever had to let anybody go so far? Yes. How'd you do it? Yes. In the most cowardly way you can. I have an amazing HR support. Um, <laughs> I, there, there are things that I'm not good at. There's a lot of things I'm not good at. And there's a lot of things I don't expect my team to be good at. So mm -hmm. we have a lot of external support. We outsource a lot of things. And actually, as our turnover in the first year increased 400%. The reasons that increased are probably more, more to do with our branding and marketing and the type of treatment we're doing. But as our turnover increased, we invested more. So we put in rooms, we put in equipment. But the biggest thing is we brought in external help with a lot of things. So HR was one of them. You know, the type of accountants we have, the marketing team we have, 
just all these things have been brilliant. So I feel very guilty letting go of anyone, even if it's totally justified. But there are people out there who are very good at HR who actually sit down with someone and have a conversation and, and in a totally different way where I would ever be able to, because they're actually trained to do this. And they help that person realize why this isn't good for them or for us. And they leave on very good terms. And I think it's like magic. So actually, a lot of the time where you think someone's not doing well, they, I think they probably know and they probably want an out. And having a conversation with the right person, I think, can help everyone understand. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Can we dive into the business a little bit right now? Like uh, Please, yeah. the operations and everything? Okay, so yep. how much... How did this work, this transition right here? Like, did, did you have to buy it? Like, how much was it? So forth. So, um, Imran didn't have a lot of what we call goodwill because the pandemic had just hit and they didn't have a big patient base. They were still building their brand. And the fact that we were coming in and not doing any general dentistry meant that, um, that there wasn't this, what we call in this country, I'm not sure if it's the same in the States, a uh, goodwill payment for the, for the value of the patients. Mm-hmm. Um, Imran also owns the building and he's gone into property development. So he didn't want to sell the building, which I completely understand. So he stayed on as our, our landlord. So in essence, what we did is we bought the, we bought the equipment off him. So it was the, the value of the equipment, basically, um, which is great because, you know, CBCT, microscopes, um, you know, top of the range plan, mecha, dental chairs, all that. Um, luckily, I had been saving to set up a practice. That's why I'd gone to speak to him. We basically had the cash to be able to finance the deal. And that's why we have the luxury of going into this and going, oh, we want, you know, this utopian world. But yeah, so that's how the purchase worked. Can I ask how much it was? Uh, yeah, I, I don't mind saying. Um, <laughs> so, so we paid him around 50,000 pounds. Okay. That's with, for all the equipment and everything? He was very generous. He just, he just wanted out. And, and a lot of this was on finance and that's what was outstanding on finance deals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I completely acknowledge that the blood, sweat and tears that Imran had put into it, um, he definitely didn't see a return on that. But I think he just had, you know, I think, I think it might have been different if he didn't have such a great project to move on to. But yeah, yeah. We, well, I mean, we, we have been so lucky. Yeah, man, that's like a, a lot of it is like, I guess you can call it like, you know what I mean? Like the voicemail, then this, you know what I mean? Like and everything kind of like just falling into place. Uh, it feels like it was the right time for all of this. Yeah. 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 Man, 50,000. Okay. So then, and then how many ops is it? Now we have three. But um, we had one when we started with two rooms ready to be put in. Mm-hmm. So in the last year, actually, probably the last six months, we've put in two more. Got you. And then right now, currently, how many employees do you have? So we have six employees, including the practice manager. Six employees. And one of the things we've tried to do is make sure that we have our practice manager. And then the five other employees, they're all trained dental nurses, but they're all, uh, they can all do everything that we need. They're all brilliant. So... Anyone can cover everything, you know, from from front of house to nursing to doing things like photos and phlebotomy and everything. How does accountability work in that scenario? So, for example, if like somebody drops the ball, right? Yes. Um, and this is a big thing because actually we, we moved from a system where one person was always on reception. One person was always responsible for lab work. Mm-hmm. And we moved to this system. The protocols that we have in place for keeping track of things, because Essentially, if you're a patient and you call up and you say, oh, I, was just, I called up an hour ago and someone different is on the desk, you've got to start from the beginning. There's nothing more frustrating, completely spoils the patient experience. Mm. So on our CRM, our software, we have protocols and all the teams stick to them about pop-up, pop-up notes. You write down everything, no matter how stupid you think it might be and how you know, redundant, 
patient called and said that it started speaking and then their dog ran out the door and they had to go chase them and they said they'll call back. And it sounds ridiculous. But when the patient calls back, goes, oh, I know you're speaking to my colleague. Did you get your dog? Then we can carry on from there. So, yeah. and then if you know, lab work trackers, patient trackers, pop-ups on things, if something's not there, and don't get me wrong, the ball does get dropped, we're all human. Um, at least we can sit down with someone and go, look, it wasn't just this that happened. Look at the consequences of that. Look at what the patient went through. And to be fair, I think all the staff are really now getting to a point where it's almost seamless. Gotcha, gotcha. So it's kind of like, um, I guess people are held accountable, but at the same time, it's easier to pinpoint that way when you like are saying you have to communicate about every single thing, right? Because if they're the ones that pick up the phone and don't have a clue, they feel like their colleague dropped them in it. So if they, if they, they kind of see that they're on both sides of it, everyone's making an effort for that. Yeah. And, and to be fair, I think, you know, this, I think there's been a lot of studies done on this, that there's a lot of people who the biggest factor for how much they enjoy their job is how much variety they have in their day. And the problem with having someone stuck in a decontamination room or someone on reception all the time or someone chair side with the same dentist is that every day becomes Groundhog Day. So this offers everyone the variety and to explore their full, what we call here, I don't know if it's a universal term, but scope of practice. Mm -hmm. So the, the general dental council have the scope of practice. And if we can have all of our team working right across their scope of practice, there's evidence to show that this will increase their, their job satisfaction. So it helps with that too. Yeah, man, I never thought about that. You're hundred percent. I remember like in the practices we were work at, she called it busy work. She's like, you're not supposed to be doing that. That's busy work. But we're like, oh, but I got to keep doing recalls. I really did recall. You know what I mean? I had to do it all yeah. over again. And it's like you do and it, it, you get so bored, so bored doing it. But, but sometimes you want to be bored if you've had a couple of days of intense work as well. So it's kind of therapeutic at that point, but it's yeah. torture if you've been doing it all week. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. I like that. Okay, so so it's kind of like you are thinking about the the human being, right? The human nature of everything, like what we want to do when you're when we're assigning job descriptions and, and job roles, right? Absolutely, because the thing is, the most frustrating thing for me going around as an associate would be out of practice where I would work with a nurse who's underappreciated or overworked and she wouldn't be in the best mood and I'd be kind of having to drag her through her day. And then she'd go find a better job. And then I got someone new and I have to retrain them. And then I'm getting kind of frustrated and it's affecting, probably affecting how I'm communicating with my patients or the, the mood I'm in when they come in. And that must impact the business. And so if we don't want to go through these cycles, um, we have to make sure that everyone's not just retained the staff and staying there for a long time so we're not retraining, but that they're genuinely happy because the patients really sense that. Um, so. If we can, if we can crack this, then the other side of it is I don't want to, I want to be able to, you know, if and when I have kids one day, I want to be able to, to go off for their school events or to mm -hmm. concerts or whatever it is. And the only way a place will run itself is exactly what you said, that people run it like their business. And this is the only way we can see that happening. Maybe not, we're naive, maybe in 10 years, I'm going to say to you, why didn't you or someone who listens to this podcast please call me and tell me that I'm an idiot? Um, yeah. But the other thing is, I think, I think you've got to, if you're going to fail, you've got to fail sticking to your principles. Because I had a lot of people contact me and say, this is why what you're doing isn't going to work. And I thought, you know what? Let's try. Yeah, I like that. If you're going to fail, fail sticking to your principles. Yeah, that's true. I like that. Because, I mean, 
only I think one or a couple people have ever said like, oh yeah, I love the grind. I love working all day, every day. I'm like, okay, cool. You're going to get tired. Trust me in about a year or two. But there, everybody else is like, I never started a practice to work 80 hours a week. I did it to, well, I want to be with my family. I want to be able to travel when I want eventually. Do you know what I mean? Like have the freedom. But then, you know, the irony is that, and I was listening to, to uh, the episode of your podcast earlier this week, <laughs> that every practice owner is coming on here and saying, I worked like 80 hours a week now and I, and I had more money and I was doing, you know, I was working way less when I was an associate. But, but the big thing is, I think that the variety in my week, and this is the other thing, I realized I want to run a practice because if I'm walking into everyone else's business and saying, I could do this better, I could do this better. Well, there's nothing more annoying than someone who just keeps saying that and doesn't actually do anything about it. And I was thinking, I'd love to have a go at doing this. But the variety that I'm saying is important to employees or to staff or to the team it's been really important to me because I, I do my clinical work, but I also, I teach. I'm now running a business and the variety in my day, I've gone in today, I've sorted a couple of patient issues. I've sat down with our management team and gone over a couple of things. I've been writing a lecture. And actually, if I was, I love my clinical work, but I love it because I'm not doing it all day, every day. And so owning the practice gives me the freedom to have variety, but it doesn't free up much of my time. Gotcha, gotcha. But you have, you're doing what you want. Exactly. You're doing what you, you want. You have to love it. Otherwise, all of this is just a waste of time. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And okay, really quick, I want to ask right now, diving back into the operations in the business, what's production and collection looking like for you guys? Like month to month? Um, so we're growing. Um, but what we've actually done is our budgeting we've done based on um, percentages of turnover. So because um, we weren't sure, sure how quickly we grow. We are growing. We've probably, you know, we've gone from when we started, we went what, you know, what you call lean and mean in the beginning and got our costs down lots. And we had, you know, one employee and started from there. And um, we've probably grown from our costs being about £8,000 a month. We never, we thought we'd have to put a lot of money into the practice. So we're very lucky we haven't had to do that so far. <laughs> we probably started by breaking even. And then we're probably at about 40,000 now a month coming in, like pretty predictably, but our expenses have grown pretty much proportionally. So our marketing budget is we dedicated 5% of our, of our budget to marketing. Mm -hmm. So as turnover has grown, that's grown. One of the things that we said we really didn't want to do is have to chase any debt because that's been a big problem in the practice that I've worked in. Um, because then you don't know where you are and you don't know what you're doing. So we've set up a whole system for that. So we actually know where we are all the time. Gotcha. Well, what's your break-even point? Uh, right now, I'd probably say it's difficult to say because we count our um, associate wages in what we consider our break-even point and those can fluctuate. But I'd probably say about 30,000 is our break-even point. Okay. So 30,000. So we've tripled our outgoings since we've taken over. Yeah. And then right now your collections is about like 40,000. And that's how we've put in, you know, we've put in two more dental, like top of the line dental chairs. We've invested in digital technology. So this is kind of where the, we've kind of dedicated those, what we're looking at as profits, but they're already going into a black hole. Yeah. Gosh. Where would you start paying your guy, like paying yourself? This is really difficult because I don't want to pay myself until our nurses are earning what I really want them to earn. I want them to get to that 35,000 a year mark. You know, that was a big part of, of doing this project. So I really want to get there. 
the only way I would have to take money out of the practice before we get to that point is if I need to spend more time and energy in our practice in order to, to break a glass ceiling that we've hit. And that would mean having to leave the practice that I visit and get paid from. And basically, if I can't pay my bills, I need to take money out. Yeah. So uh, in an ideal world, I want, I want things to stay like this, us to grow and us to be able to maximally increase our, our nurses. Okay. Do you get also paid to lecture and teach or no? Yes, but, but it's a very, I mean, we're talking like a very small part of my, my income. It's, uh, it, it, it feeds my soul doing that. Gotcha. <laughs> it keeps you sharp. I like that. Okay. That's it. And then right now, what are you currently doing for marketing and advertising? So we, we, had, we spent a lot of time thinking about this because, you know, traditionally with the type of practice that we have in the UK and the type of work that we're doing, a lot of emphasis has always been put on getting referring dentists to notice us. You know, mm. um, so so holding events and marketing at referring dentists. But one of the things I was thinking about is what do I do? I don't I don't do that. I, I will either Google or someone I know through reputation or whatever it is. So um, the first thing we did is we actually spoke to dentists that were already referring to me elsewhere. And we we spoke to them about what are the barriers to to getting patients to come see us. Mm-hmm. And that's how we came up with the name. So actually, the first piece of marketing was to have the name and have implants in there and have North Cardiff because um, Cardiff is the, the capital city in Wales and Cardiff is a very, in the center of it, it's busy, it's hard to find parking, parking is expensive. So North Cardiff was explained to people that were in the suburbs where parking is there and what we do. So that helped with our digital marketing and, you know, our search engine optimization because, you know, you search for implants in Cardiff and, and we're there. Mm-hmm. So the branding and, and kind of naming it were a big part of it. So we're working with, um, I, I'm actually, I, I, I have to give them a shout out here. A Lunex digital agency do our marketing. And Fran, who started this agency, she's brilliant at, she did a lot of market research before she came up with a, a marketing strategy for us. And what she does is she regularly uh, does her market analysis to look at what the other practices are doing, how we sit in searches how any of our uh, pay-per-click campaigns are going. And then she adapts our website and our um, what we're putting out there on social media accordingly. So one of the big things is the evolving content on the website is actually keeping us at the top of searches. So, you know, we have regular blog posts. Our website, which again, I have to give a shout out to uh, Shabazz in, in Scotland from iDesign Dental because he designed and built our website and he built it in a way where it's really interactive. So mm. Fran is getting us lots of leads through the hard work she's doing by keeping us up there. And then we've got this website that's really, you know, if you want to actually fill out kind of questionnaires about your dental health, you can do that. If you want to watch a video about each clinician, you can actually watch an interview with them and kind of get to know them and their philosophy. So um, we thought about actually doing ad campaigns themselves, but all we've done so far, and it's been working, is focus on our search engine optimization and on really good content going out on socials, not just, um, you know, generic uh, uh, stock images. Yeah. I'm looking at your website right now. It's really nice. I like the video in the, in the front where it just kind of zooms in and then it goes into like your whole, man, you have a nice practice. Oh, oh Emron and Emily did a brilliant job. You know, to be honest, we, the, the, they had branded it according to being a general practice, but the interior is just beautiful. So actually, the way we picked our branding was, we said we like the interior, 
And we had uh, Sean, who did our branding, to come in and look at the interior and come up with our practice colors and our logo based on Emily designing the interior. It's beautiful. They've done a lovely job. It's super nice. And I really like the topics because a lot of the times when we're writing about like in the clinical side, right? When you're writing about like implants and stuff, you start getting a little bit too out of the way that what the general population would ask, right? So yes. like uh, they're in the blog post, you, one of them is, should I choose dental implants or dentures for missing teeth? I really like this one. Five things to know before having tooth whitening treatment. I kind of want to know about that. But I mean, like, you know, it's, <laughs> it's stuff you so, really want to so, ask. But basically what Fran is doing is she's keeping track of what people are searching for. And then she'll come to us and say, okay, as, as a clinical team, she'll say, right, guys, this is what people are searching for. Can you come up with an answer for me? So we might not have time to type something out. So we'll literally hit the voice recording and all we'll have a chat at lunchtime and send her the voice recording and she'll turn it into a blog post. Or she'll reply and say, no one cares about teeth like you guys care about teeth. Patients don't want to know this. So she'll have one of her team listen to it and say, what, what didn't you get? And they'll go, oh, um, all I'd want to know if my teeth will be whiter. And the, and the dentist didn't mention that once because they're talking about acid and, and how good the trays are and things. So mm -hmm. I think perspective is really important in our marketing and having someone who will tell us that actually no one cares about what you care about. Yeah, that's true. Like to say that, right? And then that's also how you can kind of feel like if it's a good agency or not, because they're like, okay, yeah, this works. And it really doesn't, you know, you kind of yes. are in the wrong there. I like that. Okay. Throughout this whole marketing process, what's been your best ROI? And what would be your worst ROI too? Ooh, okay. Um, that's a really good question. You know, it's really difficult to pinpoint because although we have the, the data and, and Fran has been keeping track of, of which campaigns bring through uh, which people, our biggest growth has actually been through self-referrals of people just calling up. And when we've been, we have obviously asked them, you know, where did you hear about us? And a lot of them are saying that um, we just came up top on Google and they clicked on it and liked the website. And so our, our biggest return on investment has actually been the search engine optimization and all of the hard work that kind of goes into that. The campaigns, I mean, perhaps I might be completely wrong and these campaigns might be feeding into the um, search engine optimization, but the, each of the campaigns haven't really yielded huge results. <laughs> we're, in a, we're in a very competitive area, you know, some of your, some of your um, guests on your podcast have made a really good point that if you want to be successful straight away, go to the middle of nowhere and where you have no comp competition, you'll do great. So, um, you know, sticking to our, our USP, um, which is, which is that we are an implant practice, um, and we have clinicians who only do implants, which there aren't a huge number in the UK. And then engaging that way has probably been the most important thing. And, and that's really wishy-washy, I know, but Everything from, you know, the quality of the videos and the photos that Simon's on the website, the way the website's been built, and then the way Fran keeps optimizing it. I think all of these things have come together that mean that in, a, in our area, people Google things and us being on top, that's meant a lot. Yeah, because it, it is like nice. You know what I mean? The website you're, and everything like that, it's, it's really, really good. I just typed in Cardiff Implants, like you said, and you guys came up uh, the first, first month all the way over here from you know, Los Angeles. That's amazing. You know, we, we fall down that list frequently because everyone's working hard to be at the top of that list. And I think mm -hmm. someone said to me, why do you pay someone to do this? You know, you can learn to do it yourself. But a patient could come in and I could say, why are you paying me to do your implant? You know, if you invest 10 years of education, you could do this yourself. And I think it's the same thing, respecting the expertise that people bring in. I think it's really important for us to understand marketing because I think 
there's a few things. One is that there are basic things that you can do yourself that make a big difference, even down to the type of videos or content that you're sending to the marketing team for them to brand and put out there, you know, to understand the impact of that, but also to be able to evaluate the quality of a marketing agency if you want a marketing agency. Otherwise, you're just trusting someone without understanding anything about their, their profession. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Throughout this process, Ali, what's been, I guess from the moment you decided, you talked to Imran and you're like, hey man, let's make this happen. Till today, what's been some of the biggest struggles or fails or pitfalls that you've encountered? Oh man, I guess <laughs> I don't understand how a practice runs. <laughs> My practice manager is amazing at this, but I don't understand it. And before we had a great practice manager, I find it very frustrating when, you know, um, leads are falling through or patients are complaining because they were meant to get a call back or, you know, things are going wrong that, that are spoiling the patient journey that I don't understand why this is happening, that I don't understand how to put systems in place. So that's been really very frustrating. The other thing is when things go wrong with equipment. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, one of our chairs, we, we only had two chairs at this point. One of our chairs is down for over a month. Um, and if you don't have a good maintenance team to look after things, Everyone's kind of making excuses and saying, well, it might be this and it might be this. And everyone's blaming each other. And having the right people now, having an incredible team, you know, I don't know if you guys have Plan Mecca equipment in the States, probably it's a massive brand from Finland, mm-hmm. but um, everyone said to me, don't get Plan Mecca equipment. It falls apart. It's not good. It's really hard to maintain. And then everyone had Plan Mecca equipment. So we stuck with it. And actually it's a little bit like a German car. It's a computer. So, you know, if, if you don't service a Mercedes, it's going to eventually be terrible. But if you service it, it's a great car. It's same with Plan Mecca. And we found a group of engineers that don't work for Plan Mecca, but they only work with Plan Mecca equipment. And since we found them, it's been a dream. So the worry of a chair being down and clinicians canceling their lists and moving patients when the bike count is running low, that's been incredibly stressful and not knowing how much money it will take to, to fix it. Um, but luckily now, again, it's all down to people. Now we've found the people that we can trust. That we can call and say, Please help us. And they're there. Yeah. Has it ever been to the point where it's been so stressful where you're like, I just want to go back to being an associate, getting that paycheck and then not even worrying about all this or no? Yeah. And then I remember the things that were frustrating about being an associate. And I think at least I'm in control here. At least I can make a phone call and make something happen. Right. You know, because we were because we were prepared to be losing money when we started with our business model. Mm-hmm. And we never actually had to put in any money. The lucky thing is that we were never at a point where we're, you know, I think if, if we only worked in this practice and the bike belt was empty and equipment went down, I think it would be really scary. And I can only imagine for startups that don't, aren't in the position we were in where we had a really favorable cost of, the, of buying the practice and we have jobs elsewhere and we had savings. Um, I can imagine that, that, you know, the worry of the financial side, it, it, it would be really you know, crippling. I, I can only imagine. Yeah. Really quick. Last question I want to ask you is how has this affected your personal life? You said your wife works with you, right? Yes. She's a... So, um, so she's a general dentist. Okay. How has this all affected so, your personal life? So it's funny because um, before we had a practice manager, the czar was kind of planning on doing a bit of the practice management. Mm-hmm. And... It is not in her skill set or her personality to enjoy that type of thing. And, and she turned into a different person for a couple of weeks. Since we've had a great team and great practice manager, you know, uh, we, we have our roles. I'm kind of hands on with everything. Zara has veto power over all my decisions. So she's <laughs> kind of the balance and she's responsible for all the, you know, the way that the, the, the aesthetics of the practice and it looking really nice. And 
We spend a lot of time talking about work at home, but because we're so different, we both love it because we're getting to do the things we love and we've got a team taking all the rest of the slack. So actually, I'd say my mood and my personal life have improved dramatically since we've had the practice because I think I was quite a little bit bored and frustrated. And mm -hmm. I think it's made me easier to be around. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. So then it's been, has it ever been to the point where like, both of you guys are like, um, let's not talk about this no more. Like, we need to stop. She's like, can we just not talk about this? I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm always like passionate about Dan. And to be honest, it's from the day we walked in there, it's the best thing I ever did. I'm so glad we did it. Um, I haven't had a day of regret. I haven't had a day of wishing we hadn't. But, but I can imagine that if you don't enjoy this, just like if you didn't enjoy clinical dentistry, or you don't enjoy checkups, or you don't enjoy oral surgery, that it's an absolute nightmare. But if you love it, um, and if anyone out there is thinking about it and thinks they'd be good at it, I'd say, what's the worst that will happen? You just go back to being an associate. But if, it, if it's the right thing for you, your whole life will change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome, Ali. Thank you so much for being with us on this podcast. It was a pleasure. But before we say goodbye, can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Yeah. So um, I am at uh, North Cardiff Dental and Implants in Cardiff. So you can find me on Instagram. I'm, I'm happy Ali B or on Facebook, Ali Varani, or, you know, if anyone wants anything, I'm, again, open book, whatever you want, you know, if we can help anyone with anything, then get in touch by the practice website at northcardiofdentalimplants.co.uk. And um, yeah, so many people have been so generous with consent forms, information about everything, finance, practices, whatever, they've helped us so much. So we'll be so happy to pay it forward if, if we can help anyone. Awesome. So guys, that's all gonna be in the show notes below. And if you guys wanna reach out to Ali, Please do so. Nali, thank you so much for being with us, man. It was a pleasure and we'll hear from you soon, bud. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you guys so much for tuning into that episode. And Ali, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. We truly, really, really much appreciate it. Thank you for letting me be nosy and dive deeper into your life, man. It's it's wonderful. If I'm ever out in Wells, guys, we got to do a meetup out there. If everybody's down, just message me, text me or... Uh, email me if you guys can and be like, man, yeah, come to what we'll, we'll head to Wells, right? And we'll have a good time out there. But um, I appreciate you coming on the episode and listening. Guys, I hope you got a lot out of this episode, um, especially with, with team building, right? And how to run a practice. And I really appreciated how, how humble Ali was and how he he's sticking to his, his principles, right? And what he wants to do. So guys, if you want to reach out to him, definitely reach out to him. Go in the show notes below. At the same time, you can talk to all of us on our Facebook group. It's The Dental Marketer Society. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes below. It's going to be the first link in the show notes below. So please, 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 if you want, if you want to talk about this episode, maybe a previous episode, or you want to talk to any of the guests, go ahead and join the uh, Facebook group. And in there, we're talking a lot more about uh, the episodes and specific points and so much more. So go do that. And guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. It really means a lot when... Anybody reaches out to me, whether it's someone from Los Angeles or someone from the UK, right? Or Japan or Australia. It really, really means a lot. So I appreciate it. Thank you for always supporting the podcast. It means the world to us over here. And I'll talk to you in the next episode. <laughs>